More information about COVID and the lab leak theory, which doesn't look like a theory anymore, comes to light exploding the fragile minds in America that believed that utopia was just on the horizon. Now we're starting to realize that the government in concert with the media was lying to us all along. But that's okay, because as people start to wake up from this utopianist lie, we're starting to realize things like torture porn is being mainstreamed by people like The Weeknd on HBO. We'll talk about that. And then we'll also talk about the fact that cancel culture is a real thing and needs to be addressed. And the sooner the better, as it has just taken down yet another Hollywood actor. And then finally, we'll look at a new movie with Hugh Jackman called The Sun that might actually create a remedy to some of the utopianist lies that we're hearing in our society today. But in order to talk about that, you'll have to watch the rest of the show, and we'll talk about that and more today on Indie Thinker. Today's show is sponsored by our friends at Element Home Loans and the Kevin Blair team. If you're looking to secure your family's financial future by investing in real estate or maybe even refinancing your home, I know interest rates are high, but guess what? They're only going to go up. And you can lock in a rate right now by getting pre-approved by our friends over at Element Home Loans. Now, I, I know what you're also thinking. Hey, Reed, because interest rates are, are higher, I'm just going to wait it out. Well, listen, you can wait it out and rent if that's what you're doing right now and continue to pay your landlord and line his pockets with the money that you could have been putting down on your brand new home and actually creating some some equity for your family's future. So in any case, it, it's a great time to buy. And interest rates aren't as high as they're going to be. So you need to act now. You need to do that by going to kbmtg.com. And when you do so, let them know that Andy Finker sent you. Welcome to the show. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Now, there are some of you who believed that during the Barack Obama years, we were well on our way to utopia. We have, we were just seeing the promised land in sight. Barack Obama, the first black man, well, mixed man, was elected to office. The internet was created, making information more accessible, and social uh, media created a global village drawing us all together. But then, that evil, orange, bad man, Donald Trump, came and spoiled all of us and set us back 100 years. So if you were foolish enough to believe that nonsense, I've got some things I need to sell you on Facebook Marketplace. It's the only reason Facebook is even actually worthwhile anymore. Uh, but you need to go and purchase all of my stuff above asking price. But hopefully most of you are on the journey to independent thinking and you didn't fall for that nonsense. And you're realizing with things like the crashing, exploding dumpster fire reality that everything we were told about COVID was alive from the very beginning from our government and from our media. Hopefully you're starting to realize that 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 utopianistic dream was something that was just that, was a dream and that reality was something far more complicated than that. In fact, hopefully by now you've realized our media, our schools, our government, judicial system, museums, national parks, the transportation department, and even your urinals are flawed because they're human inventions and they don't deserve your trust. And again, that was on full display as we started to realize that the COVID lab leak theory, surprise, not so much a theory. Because just recently the FBI investigator Chief Ray said, 
China lab leak is the most likely explanation for how COVID was created. And of course, you know by now perhaps that the Department of Energy said that the lab leak theory is the most likely cause of COVID, but that they have low confidence that it was created in a lab. Now, that just means that it's the most plausible, but they don't have overwhelming evidence for it. But it's important to note the whole uh, low confidence in quotes uh, idea, because wherever you find a mainstream media source that puts low confidence in the headline is a company or a a corporation that is not interested in still yet telling the truth because they don't want egg on their face. But of course, we know the media does at this point in time because they were in bed with the government and the, specifically the Democratic Party. So when I repeat myself and I say the mainstream media and the Democratic Party, what I mean to say is that there were places like 60 Minutes who were full on board with trying to debunk the lab league theory when Trump was in office because they needed him desperately to be racist because they have no other critique that they're aware of. It's the only critique because everybody that exists is Hitler. It's the only historical figure most people know, especially in the Democratic Party. So because Trump was Hitler, they needed to make the lab leak theory completely a racist statement. And so 60 Minutes jumped quickly in bed with the Democratic Party again and said things like this. Was actually tested against the viruses we've discovered under our NIH research funding. And so that testing would not have been possible no, if it, it hadn't not. been for the work that you did with the NIH grant. Correct. But his funding from the NIH, the U.S. National Institutes of Health, was killed two weeks ago by a political disinformation campaign targeting China's Wuhan Institute. As the U.S. led the world in illness and death, the White House moved the focus to the Chinese government. That's where this began. Last Sunday, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo attempted to resurrect a debunked theory that the virus was man-made in China. The administration has offered no evidence of an accident or genetic engineering. But of course, as Biden took office and reality started to sink in, they slowly but surely started coming around to what journalism actually looks like and started doing things like this. You're saying that China did the investigation and showed the results to the committee and that was it? Pretty much Whoa. that was it. Not entirely, but pretty much that was it. Imagine if we had asked the Soviet Union to do a co-investigation of Chernobyl. It doesn't really make sense. So quick question, and this will determine your level of independent thinking at this point in time. Do you believe that 60 Minutes was duped into believing that COVID was not created in a lab? Or do you think that they actually just wanted to do what they were told to do by the Democratic Party. Which one do you think is more plausible here? Because actually what took place, as we just heard, is simply that our U.S. government officials said, hey, China, what happened? And then the Communist Party of China said, this is what happened. And we said, oh, okay, cool. Now, any journalist worth their salt would understand that that's foolish, ridiculous. And the whole point is, is that our government did us a favor. Our mainstream media did us a favor. They, they awakened a sleeping giant. They awakened a lion and helped us realize that it was never the government's job or the mainstream media's job to usher us into a brand new age of utopia, of perfect understanding of what the world is really supposed to be. See, it was, it was our job. Hopefully by now, the revelation of everything that's gone on with COVID has helped you come out of your stupor and you realize that truth 
is something that needs to be apprehended on a personal level and cannot be merely given to you by people who have bad motives. So for those of us who thought we were well on our way to utopia, I hope you remember that it wasn't just Donald Trump that spoiled the apple cart. And even it wasn't just the revelation that the media has been lying to us all along. The utopian myth was a myth all along because way back when Obama was in office, we weren't that close then. He was radicalizing identity politics then and separating the nation. When the internet came along and we thought to ourselves, oh boy, now there will be no more illiteracy and education has experienced a great new height of heights. And now information is at our fingertips and and we have more information at our fingertips right now than every single uh, book that was in the library at Alexandria. Uh, just with the click of a button, we have access to more information than than almost any civilization in history. And yet, quickly, our discovery of the internet went from researching the wisdom of Jesus and the words of Aristotle to looking up porn and shooting each other on Fortnite. The advent of social media, far from creating this global village of people to unite together and for your democratic voice to be heard online, it quickly became a tool for those in charge to censor one side of the political divide while platforming their own foolish ideas. Far from guaranteeing utopia, it actually revealed how bad off we actually are. It actually revealed to us what our nature is. Maybe you remember the guy Tristan Harris in the documentary Social Dilemma, but he said this, technology is designed to bring out the worst in us. So in other words, all technology did was be a microphone and indeed an amplifier to what human nature actually is. We went from liking Kylie Jenner's butt to the most liked picture on Instagram to date, which is a picture of a brown farm fresh egg. That's right. Most likes in history. So if you don't get enough likes on your post, don't get too discouraged. The most liked picture in the history of Instagram, egg. Anyway, the idea is, is that as we wake up from this utopian lie, it's a good thing. Not only because we can apprehend the truth a little bit more for ourselves. But, but we can also get rid of that pillowy, soft lie of the utopia that was going to keep us from actually experiencing some of the downsides of life. So in other words, not only did it help us apprehend the truth, but it also, if we get rid of this utopian myth, it helps us become more resilient. It, it'll help us stop being so soft. Here's why. Because if we wake up to the reality of the real world around us and the difficulty that's in our lives and quit craving safe spaces, it'll show us a couple of things. One, it shows us we need God. It shows us that human institutions and human ingenuity is never enough to actually bring us to a place of true prosperity and inner peace and enlightenment. That all of that may be good and self-discovery may be good, but there's a greater source from which we can derive those things that is not fundamentally flawed from the moment it gets up to the moment it goes to bed and wakes up again. Now, secondly, it also expressed this, this need for others. It showed us that technology is not going to do it, that, that the media isn't going to do it, and entertainment can't do it, that, that only by us together recognizing some basic baseline levels of truth, will we actually ever be able to function as a society? In the present where America has the highest single parenthood rate 
um, compared to any other country in the nation. And by a long shot, by the way, then the worldwide average is 7%. And the national average in America is 23% of families are single parent in, in America. As, as we recognize that there are fundamental institutions that are breaking down, we recognize that we need each other. If we're actually going to be a society, we have to come together, quit polarizing by because of the lies in the media, which is where they get their money from. The more polarized we are, the more money they get. If we will get rid of that nonsense, we can actually start working towards a society that is maybe not utopia, but, but better than the one we're creating in the present. By the way, it also shows us that we're not complete. Um, when we wake up from the lie of utopia, it shows us that we need something more than what we have. We cannot be just merely self-fulfilled. And it helps us strive to be better than we presently are. See, if we've reached utopia, there's no need to keep working. There's no need to get better. But if there's still yet something out there to achieve and to improve upon, then then yeah, we recognize human nature is flawed and we need to be work on, worked on. Now, I think this quote is from C.S. Lewis, but I, I don't really know. So I'll just say it's from me because I'm brilliant. Um, there's a quote that goes like this. We do not know what man is, but we know that he is not what he can be. See, we, we're not truly sure if we're, we're, we're altruistic, if we're truly good as we think we are, or if we're, we're way worse than we think we are. Um, but, but the one thing we do know is that we're not what we can be. We can be better. And so if we wake up from the utopian myth, it reveals that to us. And it reveals one last thing to us. It shows us that if we cannot achieve utopia here on this earth, it shows us that we were meant for something better than this world, that there's still something greater out there. Now, C.S. Lewis did say this. He said, if you find that nothing in this world satisfies the hunger in your soul, it could be that you were meant for something more. And if we quit trying to search for utopia, try to make this world as best as it can, but realize it will never truly be utopia, it will help us long for a country that is far from this world that is much better. And we'll talk about how we can get a little bit closer to that in our stories today. All right, so we're going to start our stories today with uh, The Weeknd, who is in a new HBO series that apparently is about something totally stupid and I don't care about it at all, except to say this, that apparently Rolling Stones has accused the show of glorifying torture porn. Now, if you thought that Drag Queen Story Hour was an issue, if you thought that Drag Queen Brunch with Minors was an, an issue, here comes the newest rendition of sexual escapades, which is to torture the person that you're having sex with as though that would be enjoyable. Now, it doesn't surprise me at all, and I'll never watch the show, so I won't confirm it, uh, but it doesn't surprise me at all that uh, this show would glorify something like this. But the article what I, that I wanted to read to you from Rolling Stone says essentially this. On Wednesday morning, Rolling Stones posted this story, the idol how HBO's next euphoria became twisted torture porn. Now, I, I just wanted to illustrate that for you real quick to kind of set the stage for the Rolling Stone kind of fired a shot over the bow of this new HBO show called The Idol starring The Weeknd. And it's the claim of Rolling Stones that is glorifying torture porn. Now, isn't it interesting that the Rolling Stones all of a sudden developed morality? Now, this is the Rolling Stone that just recently came out and said that there are a bunch of furries that want to have sex with Mr. Fox and the bad guys. They did a whole article about grown-A adults wanting to have sex with a cartoon character. 
right? So Rolling Stone, thank you for that great journalism. Um, so apparently now they developed a backbone, a heart, and a code of morals, and they have a problem with torture porn, whereas they wanted to glorify sex with cartoons before, and the community of furries who like to dress up as animals and have sex with each other. So it's hard for me to believe that Rolling Stones actually cares from a moral perspective what's going on over at HBO. Um, but uh, this didn't stop The weekend from striking back and posting a scene from the show where it shows uh, the, the two characters, the two main characters of the show, uh, kind of mocking Rolling Stones for being irrelevant. And it's The weekend's contention that they were uh, upset and they got their panties in a bunch because they were making fun of Rolling Stones on the show. And that's why The Rolling Stones is just merely saying that they have a problem with torture or porn all of a sudden. So uh, so regardless of what you think about the back and forth, I think The weekend makes a compelling story. And it was interesting that he uh, fired back at them and made this kind of just a, a personal thing. And more than likely, it, it most likely is, because it's hard for me to believe that conveniently that the Rolling Stone just all of a sudden discovered morality all of a sudden. But that, that's the point of this story at the end of the day. If there is actual mor morality that is happening in the present, it's feminist activism. So perhaps they have a problem with the way this portrays women as weak and the way women are attacked in the show, but it's a completely one-sided view of humanity as feminism often presents to us. But the more important reality is that universal morality is dead. Why should we care about torture, torture porn in a secular humanistic world? Please, what's the argument against pornography? What's the argument against pornography for children if we truly live in a secular humanistic age? What is the argument for consent if we don't believe that human beings are created with intrinsic value and need to be protected, even sometimes from themselves? Where do we develop a standard and a code of conduct, a, a sense of morality from, if we've totally re reduced Christianity to an irrelevant uh, patriarchal, nonsensical, folklorish religion. Please tell me, from whence do we der derive uh, not only our jurisprudence system, which, by the way, comes from the Old Testament, but, but also uh, where do we derive any sense of morality? Isn't it true that if we catapult the Bible into the stratosphere and develop this utopianistic world for ourselves where the Bible is no longer necessary, that ultimately our, all we're left with is arbitrary values that are created by individuals. And then at that point, hey, bring the torture porn. Bring it all. What, what, what is such a, there is no such thing as sexual deviancy if there is no code of conduct. At the end of the day, you're going to have to come to the realization that you're going to have to start believing in some morals and principles beyond your own personal feelings if we're actually going to hold together as a society. But of course, the back and forth between The weekend and Rolling Stones has nothing more to do with anything other than just ego, other than the Rolling Stone wants to promote themselves and create readers, and The weekend wants to protect his ego since it's being attacked by the Rolling Stone. But in the process, why should we even care? if there is no such thing as right and wrong, good and evil, and if we don't have a standard of con conduct or code of conduct by which to differentiate the two. So needless to say, as we continue to, you know, <laughs> descend down the rabbit hole of leftist, secular, feminized culture, we're constantly coming up every once in a while, poking our head back up into the sunlight to realize there is no utopia down there, 
And in fact, we need to get back to some things that maybe didn't create utopia here on this earth, but was never intended to, but at least held us together with, a, with some semblance of common sense and morality. And that's why I want to bring us to the next, uh, the next story, because we are tearing ourselves apart. And cancel culture is like the course 101, the course du jour for, for tearing ourselves apart. But of course, there are still people out there who are like, oh, cancel culture, who cares? You know, or maybe they say it doesn't exist, or they say, well, it's just accountability culture. You know, you do bad things in society and you deserve to be exposed for it. I'm inclined to agree with the second one, by the way. But the problem again becomes like, whose morality are we offending here? If we don't actually have a biblical understanding of morality, we're just taking up our stones and throwing our own personal morality at people. And so it, it, it requires a conversation about where morality comes from. Now, I'm going to just go ahead and tell you, sans conversation, uh, the Bible's going to beat your butt when it comes to actually defending where good, authentic morals come from. And it's stuck around for thousands of years, so it's probably got better arguments than you do. But needless to say, it's got to come from somewhere, or else we're going to continue to tear each other apart. And this is happening on Grey's Anatomy. According to people, Grey's Anatomy alum Isaiah Washington announces acting retirement. The useful idiots have won. The Grey's Anatomy alum announced his early retirement from acting in a tweet on Tuesday. It is with a heavy heart and a sense of relief that I am announcing my early retirement from the entertainment industry today, Washington 59 wrote. Those who have been following, witnessing my journey there on Twitter since 2011 all know that I have fought the good fight, but it seems that the haters, provocateurs, and useful idiots have won. He wrote, I'm no longer interested in the back and forth regarding a color construct that keeps us human beings divided, nor am I interested in politics or anything vitriolic. Now, just a little more here, because you need to know the story as to why he is stepping down. Washington was an original cast member of Grey's Anatomy, but he was fired in 2007 after three seasons upon using a homophobic slur against co-star T.R. Knight. He initially denied using the slur at the 2007 Golden Globe Awards, but used the slur in the process of his defense. He later apologized. I can neither defend nor explain my behavior, Washington said in a statement at the time. I can also no longer deny to myself that there are issues I obviously need to examine within my soul. I've asked for help. When he was subsequently fired from the ABC medical drama, Washington said, I did everything that the producers and the network asked me to do. While speaking for the Grey's tell-all book, How to Save a Life, The Inside Story of Grey's Anatomy, I came back under great stress and thought I was doing the job I was hired to do, he added. I thought that was going to speak for my future at Grey's, but apparently that wasn't the same vision that the network and studio had for me. So needless to say, Isaiah Washington got sick and tired of the political polarization that happens online, among other things, and decided just to step away from all the nonsense. But it's important to note that Isaiah did everything that the wokesters told him to do and apologized profusely, repeatedly, and still it wasn't enough for some. Because here's why. Because when you put blood in the water, that's when those who are, have you know, who have bad motives, want to come against you and are going to try to use your apology against you. And it's exactly what they're looking for, which is why you should apologize to individuals, never to a community of people, because there is no community of people that you ever hurt with almost anything you ever did, unless you did something to a whole community of people, literally. But when you say something to an individual, you're speaking to an individual and that individual needs an apology. Okay, so this is like elementary school stuff here. But, but, Beyond that, a more broader, important point is, is, is present, and that is this. First of all, stop saying that cancel culture doesn't exist. It does. There are people 
who on the regular right now in the present, because either they don't have the tolerance to put up with the kind of the identity politics going on in our society or are literally fired, as we've talked about before on the show, um, are literally fired. Because they or have their livelihood attacked um, from from campaigns by dishonest people, um, cancel culture exists, and we need to stop saying it doesn't because it does. We we need to quit because the one thing we're quick to do is say, "Oh, Christians are judgmental. They pick up their stones and they want to try to point their finger at everybody." But we're not willing to speak out against this anyway. And we need to stop saying not only does it not exist, but if it does exist, it doesn't matter because it clearly does. How many people have to pay the price for the weak sensitivities of our culture? Like, here's the reality. Bad jokes, comedians going after people and being insensitive and the like have been around forever. The real problem is not that people may say something insensitive. It's that people are too sensitive and don't know how to realize that hey, if it's a joke, you don't have to listen to it. So when a comedian makes a joke and the gay community comes out in glitter fury to condemn it as homophobic and transphobic, please don't make the mistake of thinking that there aren't casualties to that kind of stuff. There are casualties, and we need to stop saying that it doesn't matter. Not only does it impact the individual, it provides a social incentive for others to try to complete to be complete asses. It creates a social incentive for us to continue to try to be self-righteous. Finally, listen, again, I want to just bring up this, this point that when we don't have a code of conduct, this kind of cancel culture mentality implicitly states that reality is defined by perception, and it isn't. That's one of the big problems with cancel culture, that now we can all get up in arms because of what somebody's perceived offense And we don't ever ask the question whether or not the person who is perceiving the offense is actually wrong. We actually only want to point the finger at the person who supposedly the offense came from. And so we wrestle with this idea of the useful idiot, as Isaiah Washington brought to us in this article. The useful idiot, of course, is a term that was coined by Lenin. And it's the idea that there are people in the Marxist revolutions who are true believers And then there are people who are useful idiots. The true believers is always a small group of people. The useful idiot is a much bigger, broader group of people that you can convince to do anything because they're useful idiots. And so the idea is that there are those who have a specific agenda out there in cancel culture and want to try to reshape our world. And then there are unintentional people who don't realize what they're doing and are being used as pawns. The only cure that I see for that is a clear cut standard of conduct that helps us understand what morality truly looks like. But the further we get away from that, the more damage is being done, not just to us, but also to future generations, which brings us to the final story that I wanted to talk about, which is a movie that I watched as I was traveling to film a upcoming documentary for for Indie Thinker. Um, on the way back, I, I happened upon a movie called The Sun. Now, I am a sucker because I have two boys uh, for movies about dads, and um, they almost always make me cry. Not ashamed to admit it, uh, but I choke back the tears to be a real man at the end of the day. Um, but but it's, a, it's a sentimental spot for me because I, I love my boys. Um, they're the most important part of my life outside of my wife and my relationship with God. And, um, and, and at the end of the day, I want... The legacy that I leave behind is not an amazing podcast or a great documentary coming to you very soon. 
but I want to leave a legacy of making sure that I was a good husband and I was a good father to my boys. And so when I see movies like this, it's always a time for me to reflect. So perhaps I have a little bit of a bias here, but also too, I also think that we see movies so rarely that actually address this subject that it's important for us to try to pay attention to them when they come along, especially in the midst of a society of cancel culture that's trying to rip everyone apart, especially in a society where sexual promiscuity is constantly exalted as some type of virtuous thing rather than extolling the virtues of the nuclear family, a man and a woman getting married and staying together. I mean, very rarely are those kind of messages um, portrayed. So needless to say, I want to throw up the trailer for you to kind of watch right now. And as you're looking at the movie, I'll just kind of give you the good and the bad. Uh, the bad of the movie here, in my opinion, is that the way it portrays mental health is a little bit erroneous. Um, it's this idea that there is no help for people, that they are just going to be completely unstable and they um, constantly need attention. Now, there are some people like this, but it is very few and far between. And when that kind of stuff happens, um, it's pretty clear that people need it. So this, there is this idea that we need to destigmatize mental health because then people who are struggling with mental health issues won't, um, won't get the help that they need. And the reality is, is no, we need to stigmatize it. It needs to be rare and it needs to be understood so that when it comes, we can clearly identify it. If everything is a mental health issue, then nothing is a mental health issue. So the point is, is that the way that it portrays mental health is a little bit silly. And I think you would find that too from somebody who's a mental health practitioner. They would say, this is not really the way this works. But nonetheless, um, another problem is the way it portrays medicine. Dude, like if a doctor spoke to me as a father, the way the doctor does in that film, I would be like, get get the hell out of here. It, it, it kind of presents the kind of credentialism that we see today and kind of the COVID stuff as we talked about at the beginning of the, the show, which is just ridiculous. Obviously, most of the experts where they were lying were just too stupid to realize that they were being used. And credentialism is a cover for people who are incompetent, really professional, um, secure people don't need credentialism. They don't need to spout their degrees. They don't need to tell you how smart they are. They don't need to demand that you respect them because I'm the doctor. You know, we see that with like teachers and stuff. Like, did you get your master's degree in education? No, but I'm a parent, so I'm better than you at raising my kids. Needless to say, um, the way it portrays medicine is a little funny. Uh, the acting, even at times, is a little bit, is a little bit goofy. Um, there's some times where there's some emotions that seem to be kind of deeply manufactured and obviously they are but actors are supposed to hide that fact so um, even though Hugh Jackman is a consummate like professional fantastic actor there are some times where he and others in the film also seem um, a little bit pushing it and especially the kid who is um, the son in this in this movie definitely there's some overacting involved um, and then I'll finally say this the ending is not great not necessarily because of the way that it ended but because of the um the the message that it uh, kind of leaves us with, uh, I, I don't know. I, I'm kind of torn about that because there's some things that are good about it and things that are bad, and I don't want to spoil the ending for you. So I'll just say that the ending is not great. Uh, now, here's the good. The good is the way it shows a father's love for his kid. The, the way it unflinchingly shows that kind of love is just so powerful that a that a father is supposed to sacrifice, a father is supposed to bend over backwards, a father is supposed to be put out for the sake of raising his kids. Um, 
this father deeply, deeply loves his son and is troubled by him and is struggling to try to figure out how to, you know, work around the issues of his son's mental illness and all that kind of stuff and doesn't know exactly what to do. Um, but it it doesn't stop for a moment showing how deeply this father loves this kid rather than to show that this kid is just some, you know, thing that the father created he could give or take. Um, so the father brings the kid into the home and, um, and does so even though the father's got his, basically his own life going on outside of, um, the, the family that he, uh, could have started with his first wife. So the father's love is, is kind of on display in this film. And maybe I'm just a glutton because it's so rarely on display in films these days. A mother's love is on display, but a father's real authentic love for his son is usually not. Um, so, so I like that part of it. I'll, also, I love the way that it shows really kind of in an unapologetic way, the, the toll that divorce takes upon a kid. The son here is reeling from his family's divorce and the fact that he splits time with his father and the fact that he's being raised by his mother, by and large, um, is something that they don't shy away from in this film. And I think that's great. Over the weekend, as I was filming um, multiple places, I became privy to some information that I hope to show at a later date about how the Democratic Party is very cautious about talking about single mothers because they know that single mothers are their one of their greatest voting blocks. So they don't want to alienate single mothers. So they cannot address the fatherlessness going on in our society today. But thank God that this movie, even though probably done by somebody who's extremely left, I don't know, um, is, is unwilling to talk about the toll that divorce takes upon a mother and upon a child and, and I guess upon a father as well. But the fact that the best case scenario Everybody knows this, but we need to start fighting for it and not just know it. It's not enough for platitudes. Everybody knows that a child needs a mother, a biological mother, and a biological father in the home raising that child. That is the ideal case. That is not to shame those who are divorced or anything like it. That's just merely to say that that's what a child needs. Uh, finally, I'll say this. The way it shows struggles mixed in mixed families and the inadvertent love it shows for the intact nuclear family. Kind of, a, I already talked about this um, in, in what I said before, but with the toll divorce takes on kids, but also it, it, it inadvertently kind of praises the nuclear family for being something that is vitally important to society. And so in summation, I want to say this about this film and about the whole utopianistic dream that we want to try to develop in this society and why it is not a good thing, why it's good to try to strive for better, but why utopia is a bad idea. Um, we're never going to achieve it here on this earth, but if we can, if we can get close to it, it will come in the shape of a father's love for his child. It's in the shape of the nuclear family that can only be broken by the bond of that child creating their own nuclear family. So in other words... If we're going to truly appreciate utopia, it needs to happen because we appreciate the nuclear family. So the love that a parent has for their child is on full display in the nuclear family. And the only thing that can break that beautiful bond is when that child finds um, finds their partner for life, gets married, and then develops their own nuclear family. And then that greater love found in the nuclear family is, is the thing that replaces that love found in the nuclear family. So the point is, is that the nuclear family is a place that we are breaking down in society more and more and more through various means. And it is one of the keys that we need to truly find happiness in, in this world is that you need to come from a nuclear family, but then you also need to develop and fight for your nuclear family. 
As society outgrows the nuclear family and moves to single parenting or abortion, one's got to ask, are we really progressing in society or taking three steps back for every step we take forward? Now, listen, I want to be really clear for all the single parents out there who are raising kids. I commend you. Please do your best to resist bitterness and sing the praises of your marriage and your family, even if it's broken. Your brokenness is not the world's fault, though. And it's not your marriage's fault. It's yours and your ex's. For all the parents chasing your dreams at the expense of your family, it's time to wake up and realize that even if you're divorced, you have a responsibility to your family and to your kids. And then realize this, if you're a parent, the legacy that you leave behind will never exceed the impact you have had on your kids. And in fact, that is your legacy. Your legacy is not your work. Your legacy is not your accomplishments. Your legacy is your kids and your spouse. That is the greatest legacy that you'll leave behind. That's why I'm not ashamed to recommend the movie The Sun to you because with the good and the bad, ultimately, it brings us away with a positive message that we need to hear more and more in society today. That if we're truly going to flee the utopianistic myth and lie of society, but actually get back to the real work of doing what a society needs, then it's time for men to step up to the plate and be fathers. It's time for men to intentionally raise their kids, to realize that if you spend time with them, you are communicating something to them. And if you don't spend time with them, you're communicating something to them as well. See, when you're absent you're and you're absent because of work, you're communicating something important to them. You're communicating to them that sacrifice needs to happen for the greater good. Spend too much time away from your kids and you're communicating to them, I have priorities and you're not one of them. See, we as fathers can do our best to create a world in which our kids and their kids desire to make this world a better place and do so really outside of the myth of utopia. And in order to do that, we need some men to step to the plate. So I hope that's you and I hope it's me. If it is, I'd love to know how you're being an effective father in your home. You can leave that down in the comment section below, but you can also, regardless of who you are, like, share, and subscribe. And you can go with God. Thanks for watching.